So this morning, as I was preparing, I just, we're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 11. And this is a passage that, you know, typically in a lot of churches, or, 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 or when pastors are preaching and they go through the calendar and they're looking, look, Scripture applies any time of the year, right? But it's often used before the Easter season, during the, the season we're waiting for the resurrection of Jesus and, and Palm Sunday and, and prior to that. And it's, it's actually a prophetic miracle of what would happen with Jesus when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it was a picture of what would happen with Jesus one day. He was performing something that was a miracle, right? And, and it was a picture of what would happen with Jesus one day ultimately. That he would be in that, that, that grave and that he would rise again. And we celebrated that last week, Resurrection Sunday. And I pray that it's amazing. I, I can't, I just, it blows my mind in the little things, right, that matter and that stick out as a child of God. When you're in a relationship with Jesus and you are just the pleasures of his presence and you look around, you see everything, it was like this week, it was perfect with Easter. For whatever reason, God chose to do it. He's in charge of nature and creation. But the, the heat went, and it's like 88 degrees outside, right? For two days. And all of a sudden, you have all the trees blossoming. And then before you know it, the blossoms should be there for a little while, right? But the leaves are all coming out because it got so hot. And like life, and just a, again, on the calendar, of course, but just reminding us of the new life that Christ gives us and how everything is new and fresh. And it's a reminder that Jesus, who rose from the grave, is himself the life giver. Amen? And so we praise Him for that and we worship Him. What a great week. What a beautiful week. And praise God that, you know, even with that, the historic fires, right? Scary stuff. But that in His mercy, you know, there was no loss of life that we know of, right? I didn't hear of any. So praise God for that. And, you know, 500, was it 500, 700 acres that got burned up? And it was pretty, I mean, helicopters with water flying. It's a California scene, right? But, but God is good, and thank God for His mercy, and everybody is, is well. Amen? Praise the Lord. So praise God. But John chapter 11, and we, in John chapter 11, as I mentioned, we have the story of Lazarus, and Mary and Martha's uh, brother, and, they're, and they're, they, are, they are lamenting. There's something going on. Their, their brother is not well, and eventually he dies, and we'll get into that in a minute. But the story goes, as you know, that, that, that Jesus is, is ministering. And when he finds out about this news, he kind of he blows it off, frankly. I mean, really, from our perspective, he blows it off. But I, I want to jump ahead, and, and we'll kind of go back a little and, and, and look at the story. But in verse 38 to 44, we'll focus on those verses, and I want to read those this morning. And in verse 38, the Bible says, John writes, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, right? And just prior to this, Jesus wept, right? He, he was a human. He lived in the flesh. He had emotions, and he, he cried because his close friend Lazarus had died. He displayed those emotions like we often do as well. We're people, right? I, mean, I never cry. Yes, I do, right? I never laugh. Yes, I do. You may not think so, but I do, right? It, it's, we have all these emotions that we express, all the things that we're feeling inside. They're God-given, right? And, and, and Jesus feels that sorrow and that grief, and he, and he cries in that moment, and maybe for more than one reason, but that's for another day. But he, he's crying, right? And so he says he's moved, and he comes to the tomb, and it was a cave with the stone that, uh, across the entrance. And it's interesting. It sounds like what we celebrated last week, that the stone was removed and Jesus was not there. Kind of interesting, right? But that's, that's a typical tomb that was in that day. And he says in verse 39, Take away the stone, he said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he has been there four days. 
Now, I, just, just, a, just a thought and, and a picture, but also a sensory thing for you. Did you ever have a mouse that was dead in the wall? <laughs> Times much more in this case. It, it, possibly. And there's an odor. It's, it's four days. Things are, decay is setting in in his body. And then Jesus says in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so he took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out and his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, if you look through the story and this account that, that John gives us with Jesus' friend who had died, notice that there's a crisis, right? Just a few points to go through this chapter. There's a crisis. And it's actually a twofold crisis that's happening in this story. And we're familiar with it, right? The first one is, well, the, the first crisis that ties in with, with, with it's a two-part first crisis, okay? If that makes sense. But Lazarus is not well. But then he dies, Right? The crisis is that Lazarus isn't feeling well, and Mary and Martha are up in arms about that, and they want Jesus to do something about it. We'll get to that in a minute. But he dies. Right? He's died. And then the second one is that Martha and Mary and their friends are distressed. I mean, they are, they, they're beside themselves because Lazarus had died. And he, he's, he's, he's not alive. He's, he's, he's in the tomb. And so they're distressed. So there's this crisis. And we also have crises like this in our lives, right? I mean, we can find parallels, and I don't wish to make them and, 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 and superimpose them onto your situation in your life, but we have all these kinds of crises in our lives where things have died or things go away, things don't go well, or we have issues or problems, and we can make a lot of parallels and analogies, right? And then we're all distressed and we freak out. And so we have the crisis of the actual circumstance or the context in our lives, but because we're touched by it, we're deeply distressed. Maybe we're even depressed, discouraged. We're full of doubt, right? And we're, we freak out, if you will. No, I don't do that. I'm stable. I'm steady. I, don't, I control my emotions. Good for you. I, that's, tell me what you do. That's great, right? But he dies. And we have these situations in our lives where things happen. But Lazarus has died and there's a crisis. Crisis. None of us are exempt. We have those in our lives right now. If you don't have one now, you'll have one soon. I'm not being negative. I'm not, you're going to have one soon, right? That's just life, right? Or you just came out of one. But there's a crisis, and it's twofold in this situation. But secondly, notice that when there's this crisis, there are actually two calls that happen during this crisis. There are two calls. And the first call, as I mentioned earlier, is made by Mary and Martha. Actually, the first one is made by Martha, and then by Mary later on in chapter, in, in verse 11, uh, chapter uh, 11, verse 21. And if you would have been here, Jesus, Lazarus would not have died. That's what they're saying. But in verse 6, the Bible says that when, 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 when the word gets to Jesus that Lazarus is not well, Jesus intentionally says, oh, thanks for the news. Hey guys, disciples, let's go back to Judea for two more days. 
man, that seems cold. Like, that just seems like indifferent, uncaring. It just seems, and yet he has a purpose. He says, there's, he explains, I'm not going to go through the whole story and the account, but you can read, there's a purpose for this. And you will see the glory of God. And Jesus is telling them that. There's a plan in place and we don't understand it. They don't understand it. But Jesus delays for two days. And he's mortally ill. Like he's, he's not well at all. He's declining. And they informed Jesus and it was a form of, it was a call for help. The sisters call for help. Jesus, please, Lazarus isn't well. And then it gets to the point that when Jesus comes uh, approaches after two days, they're like, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. There's no way it would have happened because you would have done something about it. And Jesus is like, I can still do something about that. I can still do something about that. I'm still Jesus. I'm still God walking this earth. And I care about my friend. And God, my Father, has a plan. I can do something about this. And so... There's these calls that go out from Mary and Martha. Jesus, please do something. Listen, not to downplay the situation, but God's timing is not our timing. You know, I don't know what your crisis is, and you haven't known what mine are or what mine is or what mine will be, but, but God's timing is not our timing, and sometimes that's hard to swallow. We say that all the time, and we've heard it in different sermons and studies and lessons that we've been through, and just, that's how it is. And, and, and we kind of accept it, but we don't really accept it because when it happens again, we're all like freaking out, right? And we're distressed and we're depressed and doubting and we're, we're wondering. But and we find out in verses 4 in chapter 11, if you're taking notes, in verses 4 and verse 15, that Jesus delays so that God would be glorified, and we read this in our text, and that people would believe in him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God, right? It's all about the glory of God. Listen, the dead, dead people and Lazarus, who is dead, they're beyond human help. And he, I mean, this is, we're talking four days now. The Bible says it's been four days. He's beyond human help. There is nothing you can do. There's nothing the best paramedic or surgeon or cryogenic research scientists will ever do and oh, that's, that's always a hilarious one to me but anyway listen you can't do anything to somebody who's been dead for four days nothing until jesus comes right and and so because of that fact here's the second call you have this human call jesus please he's ill oh jesus if you would have been here it would have been fine it's almost a call like you going to do something about it? Why didn't you do something about it? There's all kinds of emotions there. But the second call is made by none other than Jesus himself. When, it, when he comes to the scene, he comes to the tomb of Lazarus and he makes a call. This is the kind of call he makes. Now listen, maybe you've read this and if you studied this, you know, the, the idea is, is that if he would have just said, because he's all-powerful God, come out, that it could have been his that everybody who was dead would have come out of all their tombs. That's how powerful his voice is, right? But he's so specific. And notice that this second call in our, in our account here by Jesus, the call that's made by Jesus to Lazarus is a personal call. He says, Lazarus, come out. He says, Bob, come out. There was a point in my life where he called my name and I came out from death to life, spiritual death to life. There's a parallel here. There's a picture here and it's a powerful one and you got to get it and you should be not bored, but full of joy because of that. 
I was dead, but now I'm alive. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were formerly dead in our trespasses and sins. When you're dead, you can't do anything. Right? And so this call of Jesus, Mary and Martha could have called, and all their friends, Jesus, they could have called themselves, Lazarus, please don't die, please. And he dies, right? And he's dead, and they can't get him out of the, the, the tomb. And Jesus comes, and his word is a personal call. It's loud. It's really loud. So loud that a dead man hears it. Right? And it, and it really, when I say loud, I'm talking about that it relates more to the power rather than the volume. But I think there was volume there too. I really do believe that. And so he calls Lazarus as opposed to every other dead person in their tomb. It is a specific personal call that Jesus makes to Lazarus in the tomb. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Do you remember when you first heard God call your name? Do you? I mean, he may have been calling you for a long time. I, I, and it's a little different. It, not exactly, you know, Jesus wasn't like repeating, Lazarus, 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 come out. But he comes. But in our lives, he may have been calling our name, but there was that one moment in time where that personal call was heard by you and me when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? It might be vague because it might have been in the background through your childhood. And then there came a point of time in your youth where that call was resounding and so powerful and you came out of the tomb of sin and its curse. Do you remember that? Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 1 to 4, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And here's the thing. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. His voice. And there's this personal call, but it was also, as I mentioned, a powerful call, right? And it's so powerful, and the power of Jesus' call among the two calls between Mary and Martha to Jesus, but now Jesus calling to Lazarus, here's the power. It is evident by Lazarus, and notice this third thing that is the main event, right? Is that there's this coming forth of Lazarus out of the tomb. There's this call that is personal, it's powerful, but now he comes forth. There is resurrection, if you will, right? There's a dead man who is now alive. A dead man who's now alive. You know, when Jesus calls, his voice and his call is so powerful, it awakens us. It transforms us. As I mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2, He makes us alive, we who were dead in our trespasses and sin. He's alive, and Lazarus is alive because Jesus' call is effective. When He says it, it happens. And not even that, it's, He's alive because Jesus' call is also efficient. You know what it means when it's efficient? It means that you do, I mean, let me just make this generic, you do a little work to get maximum effect. Or you do as, as little as necessary, but you get the maximum result. It's efficient, right? When you want something to be efficient, it works less, but produces the maximum output. And so Jesus, he calls out, it's effective. It does something, but it does something so amazingly and quickly and powerfully that a man who is dead is now alive. 
He just speaks the word and it's done. Do you believe that? That his word causes things to happen. Do you believe that? It does. Psalm 29, one example. I had, I had several, but I picked this one. Psalm 29, verses 3 to 9, highlights the power of God's voice. And I love the poetic language of the Psalms and what's happening here. But he says, it says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Actually, that writing in the Psalm is a reflection back on the creation of the universe when God formed the heavens and the earth. It's powerful, right? Nothing's by accident in the Word of God. It's amazing. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, uh, work because God wrote it, amen, through people, but he wrote it, right? The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. He is the king of the universe, after all. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. These tre- I mean, think about the, the picture there of how powerful when he speaks it. It just splits that tree. Did you ever see a, a tree that's been hit by lightning? And you see a big split. That, this is like taking it and splintering it. That's how powerful God's voice is in this language that's used, poetic language that's used here. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. Again, the voice, the voice, the call of God. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks. Now, oak is one of the harder woods. Especially around here, right? It's a harder wood. You take the oak, and he can take that, and just his voice makes it go like this while it's in its trunk. Right? And he strips the forests bare, and in his temple all cry what we were singing. Glory! Glory! It's all his. He's all powerful king and ruler of the universe and everything that is. And his call is effective. It's efficient. It's powerful. And so still, Lazarus comes out. And even as Jesus speaks, it is. Come out. And he comes out of that tomb. Just like when he said, let there be light. And he just let the birds fly. And just one word and everything happened powerful powerful god speaks and it is and still lazarus comes out and now as he responds how does he come out he's a living living mummy this is how he's walking i'm telling you he was i don't even know if he could do this he's a living mummy but he's alive because he's moving as small as it is i mean I, i don't know i don't know how much his feet recover but he's just he's coming out he's a mummy just as you see in movies or images or pictures he's a mummy wrapped up, stiff as a board, but it, there's some kind of movement and he's coming out of that tomb. Again, I don't know. I've never seen that. I wish I could have seen that, I think. It'd be pretty scary, but pretty amazing, right? But he's walking out of that tomb and he's still, he's bound in those grave clothes. He was alive and he was moving to some degree, but he's constricted, he's bound, and he's limited. And you know what? He, he's missing out on the fullness of life that Jesus has to offer. And there's a picture there for us. You know, he was raised to life, but he wasn't yet completely free. 
Well, how can that be? Because in John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus says that he whom the Son sets free is free. So what is this all about? Well, let me ask you, what, is, what are all the epistles about? That we are reminded that we are on this path of sanctification because we're on a path where we've still got a lot of bandages on us. We're already alive. We're alive. We're alive, but the bandages got to come off, right? And so you got this mummy, he comes out. And it's at this point, it's at this point when this living mummy named Lazarus, he comes out and Jesus gives a command. He gives a command, right? He calls, and there's a coming forth, but then there's a command after that. Lazarus can't not come out because Jesus spoke, and it was. And he responds and comes out. And so there's this command, and the command is this. It's very clear. We've heard it already a few times this morning. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. My mind's going places, but I'm controlling myself. He's alive, but he's clothed in death clothes. And yet, even here today, right now, there are some of you who have been made alive by the grace of God through Christ, but you're walking in grave clothes. And can I add to that? There are some of you who are alive in Christ and you've had a lot of bandages taken off, but you're wanting others to keep bandages on them and you want to keep them bound. Oh, don't be that person. I'll get to that in a minute. Don't be that person. Right? The clothes... The grave clothes hinder movement. And there is inability to act when they are left on. You can believe you're alive. You can hear, even through the claws, you can hear, and you can move a tiny bit, but you're limited to do what God wants you to do. There's an inability you have there, right? And, and what are some of these grave clothes? We can make a whole long list. I'm not here to do that, but I will give you some. Some of the grave clothes that you might have are sorrows about the past. Ooh, that hinders you. It binds you and it prevents you from moving. Listen, you are a new creature now and those grave clothes are going to be coming off. They have to be coming off. We'll get to that in a minute. They must come off, right? What about doubt? Some of you are bound by doubt, right? And, and it might be linked to a lot of different things in the past or maybe your ignorance, whatever it is, but there's doubt. And so you're not believing that you're really alive, even though you're... You, now you're aware of sin, you're aware of, but you're, you're just, you're bound by, by doubt. Some of you are bound by mistrust, right? Tightly. Fear. Another one. There's prejudice. Some of us are bound by prejudice versus the compassion and the acceptance that we have now. But listen, that doubt, that mistrust, that fear, all that, there is assurance of forgiveness and security now in Christ because he called you forth from the grave, the, the tomb of sin and its curse, and now you're alive. You're alive because of his call. What about habits? We have some habits that bind us, right? They could be sinful ones. They could be not sinful ones, but they still bind us because they might skew or, 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 or make out of alignment our view of who God is and who we are in Christ, right? And, and those habits and some of those things that we do are, is that corrupt mentality, our mindset from the life before Christ, and we can't shake it off, but we've got to have the bandages taken off so we have the new mind of Christ and not stuck in the old. So I have to renew our minds, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, all the time. Right? 
I'll give you one more. What about ignorance? I mentioned it, but what about ignorance, right? You have, you're alive, so you have the, spiritually alive here, now you're getting this, right? You have the capacity for knowledge, to know things about God, but, but you need to be led. And let me just say this, unless in capital letters, bold, underlined, with spotlights on it, and like 100,000 times bigger than the Hollywood side in California, right? Bigger than the big blue bug in Providence, let's make it local, right? Listen, unless, unless you know or I know everything about God's Word, then you need to be in attendance in services, in Bible studies, in prayer, fellowship with others, and growing. I'm not there. And if you are, go to heaven. Don't be here. No way. There's no excuse. Because in those places, in those contexts, bandages come off. I'm getting ahead. But we'll get there, right? Why are the grave clothes still on? Why couldn't Jesus just say, get up and, and just magically, if I, I say magically, but that's almost a bad way to put it, but just supernaturally, everything falls off and it's all gone and, and Lazarus is free and ready to go. Why? I have some reasons. I, so, so I, have some, I propose some thoughts. Because first of all, we're co-workers with Christ. Jesus invites the people who witnessed this miracle to be a part of the ongoing miracle. And he invites you and me. Now, this isn't foreign to what Jesus had done. Do you remember? We heard a sermon a while ago, and you've heard it many times over the years. But when Jesus feeds the multitudes, what does he do with his disciples? He invites them to work with him to make the miracle. Jesus does the miracle, but they're distributing. And, and, and how is this happening? Every time they reach into a basket, wait, there was 12 and there's still 12 fish. Wait, and it just keeps going, right? Well, that's what Jesus is inviting those who had witnessed this and those who were his disciples in particular, but those who witnessed, take off his grave clothes. Take off his grave clothes. Be involved in the process of sanctification, becoming who Jesus is. And we are co-workers with Christ, and Paul said so much in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. What about the idea that, in, 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 in a certain sense, I'll just throw this out quickly, but it's to verify that miracle, right? People come up there, they see it's really him, and they start, it really is Lazarus, and they're taking him off. Wow, we got work to do, but you're alive. You were dead, and we know it. And yeah, you still are kind of stinky, but you're alive and because of the clothes. I mean, who knows, right? And, so it's, it's, and how about that we might show, I think Jesus does, that we, God gives us the opportunity and invites us to show interest in the person who was dead but is now alive. Man, iron sharpens iron. Jesus invites his disciples and us to participate in his work. He does so, man, he does so that, oh man, he does only what he can do. Think about this. He does only what he can do. He makes a dead man alive, but then he uses us, right, to do what we can do with him. And that's how he wants it. Take off his clothes. Now, were some people like, I don't know about that. I think so. I do think so. Did some people turn away and say, this guy's crazy? Maybe. I don't know. We can only assume, right? Or, or, or presume. I don't, we can make all kinds of assumptions about this, what happened. But there was a mixed reaction, I'm sure. But there's a command that says, take off 
his grave clothes. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then there's other passages Paul talks about without getting into the whole long list where he tells us to put off or take off. There are other practices and habits and sins in our lives that we shouldn't be clothed with those. We take those off. It's a picture of taking an old garment off and putting a new one on, taking off the old bandages and being free. And so put these things on and we need to exercise these. There is a need for sanctification and God's process results in us becoming Christ-like. More and more. More and more. We are His instantly. We belong to Him, but we become more like Him as we go through life and submit to Him. Still, some say, no. Don't take my bandages off. It hurts. Yeah, it might. It does. And guess what? That's where compassion comes in. And kindness comes in. And patience comes in. No! Don't take that bandage off that's around my knees right now. I'm alive and I got, I'm still wrapped and I'm bound. But don't take that off yet because it's my bandage! How dare you? It's mine. Don't take it. It's my identity. It's who I am, don't you know? It's part of my past, so that's how you can identify me. That's how I'm known. I'm, I, leave it there. I'm, I'm alive in Christ. But, and, but you can be free. You can be more mobile to respond and to do what God asked you to do and then actually do it. No, it's my identity. You have a new identity in Christ. Right? We've repeated that many times. Do you remember Paul's conversion to Saul in the book of Acts? Remember that story? You've heard this many times too. If you read the account in Acts chapter 9, Ananias had a fear of Saul. Paul. Read it. It's there. He was afraid. He was nervous. He wasn't sure. What's this all about? This guy is the guy that was persecuting and, and having Christians murdered and making all those orders and commands for that and trying to annihilate the church and people of the way and, and those who were believers. He was trying to get rid of them. And Ananias had a fear for him. And Ananias was a godly man. He was a righteous man used by God, but he had a fear of him. And then Barnabas and others come and they, 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 they say, it's all good. He's really, he's a new man. He's alive. He saw the grave clothes of a murderer on Paul. But Barnabas accepted him and he helped to take off the grave clothes. He did. We get icked out, if you will. Yeah. We get grossed out. We, get in, we feel like we're inconvenienced. We don't want to be part of that process. And we miss out on the miracle that God is continuing of lives becoming more like Christ when we don't join in that command, or respond, I should say, to that command and obey to take off the grave clothes of our new brothers and sisters or our, our longtime brothers and sisters. Or letting them take the grave clothes off of us. You know what happens in the end? We can only assume, well, we can't assume, we know. We know that they obeyed the command, those who heard it. Because what happens at the conclusion of this chapter is that Lazarus 
And God uses him. He becomes this character who is absolutely convincing to the populace that God did a miracle. He was a witness. He testified, and he was, he was, a, he was a, a, a person who God used to show forth the glory of God. Remember that the purpose of this miracle is that many would believe and that God would be glorified. Remember that? I said that earlier twice. And Jesus himself said that in our, in our scripture. Here's a plan. I did this so that God will be glorified. This is also God can be glorified. Now, I'm going to open my Bible so I don't... I'm reading the New American Standard, but I'm going to read this so i'm not just paraphrasing i often do that i tend to have a pretty good memory but i'm not going to butcher this john chapter 12 verses 9 to 11 this is after lazarus is alive listen to this the great multitude therefore of the jews learned that he that was lazarus was there and they came i'm sorry jesus and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death also. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in jesus man it's so perfect god's plan and nothing is left out god knows what he's doing and this account verifies that and here lazarus has no bandages on him because people obeyed and he's walking around as a free man he's testifying look at me i was dead i'm the guy that was dead i'm alive and i heard jesus call me out of the tomb and then people took the bandages off and some of them were sticking on me and with all the embalming stuff or whatever and they were pulling my skin and it was painful but look at me i'm free of all that stuff and it was Jesus, it was Jesus, it was Jesus. Amen. Let's shut that guy up and let's put him back in the tomb. <laughs> That's what the religious Pharisees were saying. Shut him up. Put him back in the tomb. Find a way. Along with Jesus, by the way. Oh, God help us not to be in that party. You're in trouble if you are. You are. Lazarus, the dead man, is now Lazarus, the witness, whose life is threatened because he benefited from Jesus' grace and power in his life, and he gave God glory for it. Is that what we do on Sundays? That's why I said... If it was boring what we did this morning, shame on you. And I'm being serious. This was a collective praise in the songs that we sang to bring all the glory. Isn't he worthy? He's worthy of it all. And why? Because we were dead and we're alive. And those of us who recognize, we forget about everyone around us and everything about us. And we just look to God and we realize all our bandages are off. And if they're not, they're coming off. And we praise God that we're alive. And then yet we will still look around and say, too much glory to God. Do you see all those bandages on there? That's, he's not really alive. That's, and he's glorifying God. Let's shut him up. Don't be caught up in that. Listen, this morning, as I close, a couple of questions and we'll pray. Do you need help with getting grave clothes off in your life? I do. I do. 
And I'm grateful for the brothers and sisters who've done that. I'm grateful for witnessing that over the years. And I'm looking at some of the deacons in our deacon meetings where that's happened. Yes? Clothes are coming off. Not easy. It's painful. It's hard. It takes time. But as God's people, the clothes are coming off. Are you helping take off the grave clothes in someone's life after God's effective and efficient call has brought them to spiritual life? You can answer that. I I can't answer that for you. I mean, it'd be convenient for me to do that and judge things and whatever, but I'll let you work that out with God. Are you a convincing character? One who has been raised like Lazarus from the spiritual tomb that, that of sin and the, the curse of death that's there. Are you a convincing character? You're a testimony of what God has done in your life and made you alive in Christ. Because here's the thing. If you and I have been raised to a new life in Christ by God's saving power, are we testifying? Are we evidence of that miracle by our righteous actions and words that point to Jesus? The only one who can save us and make us spiritually alive? Are you a convincing character? What's your identity? More specifically, who's your identity? It's time for the grave clothes to come off. And it's time for us to allow others to take them off as well, because you've been asked to do that. There are many miracles in this room. But there are still miracles happening in this room. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word, your word. Lord, continue to work deeply in our hearts. Help us to not run away from the things that cause us discomfort or, Lord, we are ashamed of. You know it anyway. And Lord, you know that those things bind us, that grave clothes that's still around us. Thank you, Lord, that for so many of us, a lot of us, and ultimately all of us, the grave clothes will all be off one day, but they're coming off more and more as we get closer to you and allow your Holy Spirit through your people, Lord, to remove those bandages so that we could be free, even more free, and live the abundant life so that we can respond immediately to the calls you make to our life and our personal life. Lord, we love you and thank you for your great salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you that it's all, Lord, by grace through faith. God, I just pray, Lord, that we would uh, walk out this morning being challenged, but being encouraged, knowing, Lord, that we are in process. And ultimately, you are the Lord of that process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.